This episode of the MedTalk podcast is brought to you by European Pharmaceutical Manufacturer, a publication covering the entire supply chain of pharmaceutical manufacturing. Subscribe now at epmmagazine.com. Hello and welcome to the MedTalk podcast, a show bringing you the latest news and insights into the world of life sciences. My name is Rhys Armstrong, the editor for European Pharmaceutical Manufacturer, and today I'm joined by Paul O'Donohoe. Uh, he is from the technology company Medidare, who is here to discuss the world of clinical trials and the implementation of technology throughout. Paul, first of all, just thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Brilliant. Um, I guess just to start off, Paul, could we um, just get a little bit of an introduction from yourself and also um, a little bit more on Medidata as a company for any of our listeners who don't know? Yeah, for sure. So Medidata is the leading digital platform for the life sciences, kind of covering the whole life cycle of clinical trials from you know recruiting and randomizing patients into your study, administering your questionnaires, collecting your data, analyzing your data. So it's an entire kind of platform solution. Within that solution, we have a, a patient-facing technology piece called Patient Cloud, and that's the group I sit in. So I'm the senior director for ECOA Product and Science. Um, and our, our Patient Cloud technology is uh, really all about engaging and collecting data from, from patients. So there's a wearable aspect, there's an ECOA aspect, there's an e-consent aspect. It's kind of a broader patient portal, patient engagement piece as well. Um, and so obviously that feeds into then the bigger metadata platform um, for the, the kind of running of the, the entire experience of, of the clinical trial. Um, so my background is originally, I actually come from a psychology background way back when, um, but moved into this industry, uh, into kind of health outcomes, health economics research, um, and then specifically into the world of ECOA um, about 10 years ago now. Um, and I've I've been focused on on that ever since. Yeah, so you've been in the industry a fair amount of, of time now, you know, a, a decade. How have you sort of seen that the clinical trials landscape change throughout that time? Yeah, I think it's you know very very um, uninspiring answer when when just to say the really the, the focus on on technology increasing more and more. Um, I think. There's always been an interest in technology within the life sciences and, you know, EDC moving from the world of paper to, to electronic data capture systems um, decades ago now. Um, so technology is always kind of being at the center of clinical trials for, for a significant period of, of time. And I think we've just seen that accelerate in the last decade or so. And I think there's been a few things that have driven that acceleration. But really, I think the, the key driver has been the improvement and resulting reduction in cost of commercial technology, things like smartphones and, and tablet computers. Um, and the life sciences really trying to find ways of integrating those technologies into their, their trials, um, both as a way of improving how they're running the trials, but also potentially as a way of, of reducing cost as well. So I think we've really seen um, an explosion in the use of technology across all aspects of the clinical trial, but specifically the, the kind of patient-facing piece in the last decade or so, and, and that's that's only gathering 
gathering steam, I think, year on year, and, and particularly in light of the year we've just had. And that's kind of reaching a, a bit of a, a frenzy at this point in regards to industry interest in, in using these technologies. So I, I think it really has been that, that focus on, on technology and trying to find different ways of integrating it into the, the traditional clinical trial life cycle. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things about it is, as, as you mentioned, getting patients a bit more involved in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, just really drawing on, on their experience and how they, they engage with a clinical trial. In my mind, the clinical trial has always been a little bit of a, um, a sterile in, environment. It's been data collection from a clinician's point of view, but it might be burdensome for the patient um, themselves about how they report that data or how it's collected from them. Yeah. Um, do you think that's one of the biggest things that technology is, is helping with, just sort of that, the patient agency with air clinical trials, I suppose? Yeah, I think you're spot on. It's it's certainly a sense when you look at kind of a, let's call it a traditional clinical trial, it's, it's very much a one-way street. You know, we, we go out, we recruit these patients, we extract data from them, and then that's it. We go off and, you know, hopefully are very successful with our, our new treatment. And so certainly we saw a big rise in the idea of, of patient centricity over the last, you know, five or 10 years, um, which I think arguably kind of rapidly turned into a, a bit of a, a buzz phrase and people were struggling to figure out how to, to make that an actual meaningful statement. Um, I, I think, you know, we have found ways now of, of doing that more meaningfully. Increasing number of sponsors have patients providing input in protocol design early on um, and are, are listening to what patients are actually telling them. And I think that really is a you know, a very meaningful way of, of actually enacting patient centricity. But certainly from the technology perspective, I think there was always a sense that maybe we could use technology as a way of improving that patient engagement, patient agency, I think is the term you used, which I like. Um, and I think for a while we kind of struggled with what we actually mean when we say that. And so, uh, you know, really nice example that I, I always come back to is the the kind of big buzz phrase in in ECOA specifically and maybe just to make sure everyone's on the same page clinical outcome assessments are, are questionnaires we use for getting insight in how a patient is feeling and functioning obviously traditionally done on paper back in the day increasingly uh, the mainstream way of catching capturing these questionnaires are using electronic systems whether it's a smartphone or a tablet computer you can do it at a site visit or, or in the patient's own home. So that's broadly referred to as, as ECOA. Um, but it, the kind of big big buzz phrase in the world of ECOA for the last five years or so has, has been bring your own device, BYOD. So using patients' own smartphone devices to, to complete these questionnaires, where traditionally we have been provisioning devices, providing them, every patient within the study, the same device to complete complete these questionnaires. Um, and there was really the sense that BYOD would be a way of um, enabling patients to be more engaged because, you know, I, I think that makes certainly makes a lot of sense to me. I would prefer to use my own phone rather than have to carry a, another smartphone. But there's been some wonderful research showing basically almost a 50-50 split between patients really liking BYOD because they don't want to carry a, their, a second device and other patients who are like, actually, I like this provision device because it allows me to keep my you know clinical trial experience separate from my real life. It helps me remember to complete my questionnaires. 
And so that being a really nice reminder, I think that we can have these grand ideas of uh, we just throw technology at the problem and suddenly it'll be wonderfully engaging for the patients. Um, but in fact, we have to actually do the work of going out and talking to patients and figuring out what they're looking for, what's important to them, and then finding ways for the technology to, to feed into and support that. So I, I do think, you know, we have been exploring ways of using these technologies to make it less of a one-way street in the clinical trial setting, but I think we're still just kind of finding our feet in, in that regards. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned that 50-50 split. I mean, I suppose it depends on potentially uh, the user's experience with technology and how comfortable they are. Um, and also, you've got to you've got to think that not everyone might have the same experience with um, with a smartphone as others. People might not know know how to uh, download apps or access, you know, third party software as, as much as uh, some people might. Yeah, so- absolutely. Uh, yeah, and one of the one of the, one of the biggest challenges we we often face in BYOD studies is people forgetting the login details for the app store, and they can't even get the app on their smartphone in the first place. So yeah, we, we I always have to remind myself I operate in a very tech centric bubble. And not mm-hmm. everyone is is as enthusiastic about his technology as, as myself and my peers might be. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that that split of 50-50, um, how similar would, say, um, a given device by uh, a CRO be in terms of um, comparatively to a smartphone, for instance? How is it? Is it a cumbersome ob- object? Is it easy to use? Is it, you know, guided? Yeah, actually, nowadays, we're just using commercial devices, to be honest. So certainly 10, 15 years ago, even 20 years ago, when Eco was first starting out, you know, these were not the best devices. You had to literally plug them into the wall to send data. It was these cumbersome black and white PDA devices. Um, And I, I think that was perceived at the time rightly as maybe being too burdensome for sites and patients to manage. I, I think, in fact, we um, created a bit of a bad perception, certainly for site, sites who had to kind of were the, the coalface of managing these tech issues and um, sometimes made them a bit reluctant to to use ECOA moving forward. But nowadays we're, we're using, you know, iPhones and, and top of the range Android devices just because from a cost perspective, but also from a hardware perspective, they just, they're very reliable. So yeah. in fact, the, the difference between a provisioned device and a patient's own device tends to be, be quite minimal beyond the fact the patients are just more familiar with their own device. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Um, like this intersection of technology into the pharmaceutical space is quite fascinating really, because it opens up so many more avenues for how companies and research organizations can do studies. Yeah. What do you think are some of the benefits for patients and for companies alike of utilizing things like wearables and sensors in regard to data collection um, for, for the overall studies, I suppose? Yeah, so there's a number of different angles on that. I think from kind of the research perspective, Certainly when you think about wearable devices, that's opening the possibility of not just providing us deeper insights or supporting kind of the kinds of data we're collecting nowadays. So I mentioned these clinical outcome assessments, you have patients reporting on how they're feeling and functioning, and now you can be adding in a whole new data stream around kind of so-called objective 
data alongside those subjective reportings that might give you a deeper insight into the patient experience. So that's kind of supporting the current way we're, we're trying to understand the patient experience in the clinical trial. But you can also see these technologies potentially opening whole new avenues of, of data capture. So, you know, I think we're always going to have to and want to ask the patient, how are you feeling? We're not just going to be relying entirely on these objective measures. But, you know, you can imagine wearable devices, for example, um, providing us insight into when patients are more active, when they've gone out for a walk or when they've gone up a flight of stairs, and then triggering a, triggering a very targeted questionnaire off the back of that insight. You know, how breathless are you? How tired do you feel after that? And that giving us a whole new way of getting very fine-grained insight into the patient's kind of lived experience. So rather than a much broader, how did you feel in the last 24 hours, we can be triggering very targeted questionnaires um, based on what the patient is actually doing day in, day out. And this is this is very much out there. No one's really doing this at the moment beyond some kind of pilot studies, but it, it gives you a sense of, from a research perspective, just getting more fine-grained, deeper insight into the patient experience. Then I think you look at the from the patient side of it, where yes, obviously they would benefit from better research long long term. You know, the better research we can do, the better treatments we can get out there. But I think really from the patient perspective, what we're seeing is um, the ability to just be a bit more flexible. And I think flexibility is a scary word in the clinical trial space where we're, you know, desperately trying to fight against sources of variability. We're running experiments at the end of the day and we're trying to, we're trying to limit these sources of variability so we can try and get some sense of what's very often a, a very weak signal in our data. Um, but I think these technologies are now allowing us actually to be a bit more flexible in how patients can engage with the study. And so, you know, I've mentioned BYOD already. That's that's a very simple example of, okay, rather than providing everyone the same device, and many patients might like that, some patients might not have a suitable smartphone, some might prefer to use the provision device, but maybe we can open it up for those patients who want to use their own device. We can now allow them to download and install an app so they don't have to carry that second device. So that's that's allowing, you know, a, a, a very small amount of flexibility but still that might have a meaningful impact on the patient experience and so you can kind of then extend that into well maybe we can allow patients to report more data at home rather than having to come in for site visits and we consistently hear that patients having to come in for site visits is is exceedingly burdensome they have to take time off work they have to find childcare, and very often their sites are located far away very often the site visits take hours and are very boring to be briefly honest um, so anything we can do to give patients maybe the flexibility to do some of those visits uh, from their own home again using technology whether it's kind of video conferencing technology or having them wear a wearable device rather than having to have a clinician observe them for example um, I think of all, all of these are ways we're starting to explore to allow this this patient flexibility and I think you know, that, that does then have a knock-on effect on the research itself because the easier it is for a patient to engage with the study and the more engaged they are, the less likely they are to drop out, the better quality your data is going to be. So it's kind of a win-win in that regards that it both gives you interesting new ways of doing the research itself 
um, it re potentially reduces the burden on the patient and as a result it makes them to be more engaged and potentially give you a, a better um, a better insight overall into the effectiveness or otherwise of the treatment yeah I, I I think when when considering the use of you see like commercial devices in, in particular and um, how they're starting to sort of emerge into the in, into the space um, and now we're starting to see sort of the likes of Apple get involved with mm. medical devices. Um, what, what do you think about the sort of intersection between, you know, large technology companies like like Apple, for instance, getting getting involved within clinical studies? Do you think it do you think it benefits the industry overall? Do you think it's sort of um, I, I don't know really because it's quite it's quite what do you what do you hope to expect from a company who hasn't been involved in that space and um, too much in the past? What do you how is it going to drive forward the industry? Yeah, I. It's a fascinating question, and I. I think it's a good thing ultimately, with some caveats. I, I think you know increased competition is always great, and I will say, you know, within the ECOA space, we've long felt we're kind of on the shiny cutting edge of technology, and yes, maybe within clinical trials we are, but if you look to the commercial world more generally, the stuff we're doing is not cutting edge. Mm -hmm. the, you know, ultimately we're trying to engage with patients, we're trying to get give them opportunities to provide us information. And that's been a solved problem in the web and app space for you know, a very long period of time. And I think our industry has been very slow to learn some of the really good design, web design, app design lessons um, that have been learned decades ago in other industries. Um, and I think having some of these big players who have really cut their teeth in that world of trying to make really engaging technologies um, who make you know things that are, are beautiful to use, basically, mm -hmm. um, I think that's a really positive thing because I think there's, there's so many lessons we can learn there and, and certainly in metadata with our patient insights group where we're, you know, our design team is working closely with with actual patients trying to make beautiful products. And I think that's something, because we're such a conservative industry, we've actually been a bit bit reluctant to do almost. Things have had to look very sterile and clinical. Yeah. Um, and we're now, I think, kind of accepting the fact that actually we can have things both be very clinical in regards that they capture good data and also be a, a pleasure to use. And so I think seeing some of these these pe people like the Apples and the Googles come into this space is a, a good incentive for us, um, both to, to learn from the work they've done, um, but also get a bit more comfortable with, with allowing good design practice in, into our world. The flip side of that, I think, is exactly what you hinted at. I, I think it's very easy to look at this world from the outside and think that technology is the solution and that's all you need to do. And, you know, I often feel the app is the easiest part of, of what we're doing in this world. It's everything that goes around that, including the knowledge of how to navigate the various regulations. And that we consistently see that catching people out where they come in with great plans on a beautiful app. Um, and then they just grind to a halt because they realize quite how um, conservative and complicated a, a field it is. To navigate and you know again we constantly see this in the world of ECOA where these questionnaires that we're implementing on these smartphones and tablet computers they've 
they often take years to create and millions of dollars because you're getting the wording exactly spot on. You don't want to mess with that when you're uh, administering it to patients. And so there's a lot of considerations around how you actually take that paper questionnaire and implement it electronically. And unless you've had exposure to that, you're not going to be aware of all the subtleties that goes into creating a good quality electronic version of a clinical outcome assessment. And these are exactly the things people like the FDA really hone in on, making sure that you're not, again, going back to this idea of introducing variability into your studies, that you're you're not introducing additional sources of, of variability because of how you're even implementing the questionnaires. So I think, you know, ultimately it is a good thing having these big players take an interest in our space. And I, I definitely see it as encouraging all of us just to get better at making good quality patient solutions. But I also, I, I do worry of kind of a high profile failure with one of those guys and, and how that will have a knock on effect to the rest of the industry. But I think there is such a kind of clear dividing line between technology companies who operate in kind of all aspects of life versus technology companies like Metadata who are purely life sciences focused. And I think our, our industry kind of recognizes that dividing line and, and generally supports it, that uh, I think we as an industry will will kind of be fine through this experience. And in fact, it, it will be a positive thing ultimately. Yeah, and I suppose the, um, you know, that making those beautiful devices like the Apple Watch or, you know, um, a Fitbit, for instance, Fitbit Versa, it goes hand in hand with, say, the advancement of technology, the miniaturization of yeah. sensors of chips and you can't really fast forward that um to such an extent so you have to wait until the prices come down for for certain bits of their uh, hard hardware um for that to happen um bit of tangent there it's not related to any question but um <laughs> i think it's i think it's a really important point because you know i think the certainly the broad acceptance of ecoa in the clinical trial space Yes, it gets us better quality data. Yes, that's what the regulators are looking for. They encourage people to use ECOA. But I also think a really important aspect of it is that, you know, a significant chunk of the world population is carrying a smartphone with them. They're comfortable using those devices. They are comfortable with doing other aspects of their life via those devices. Um, and we, even if we're providing provision devices, we can now get access to really high quality handheld computers ultimately for not a ridiculous price. So I think that's, that's a really good point. But I also think it's, it's one we've been slow to learn. As I said, in the industry, if you look at some of the, there's, there's a, when it comes to wearable devices, we often talk about medical grade devices and commercial devices and medical grade devices having, you know, specific high quality sensors and specific algorithms running on them that are considered better than the commercial devices but you look at some of those medical grade devices and you know being very blunt they're ugly they're just not nice and it's it's can be a tough sell asking patients to wear you know an ugly lump of metal on their wrist for x number of months whereas you look at an apple watch you look at a fitbit they're you know nice sleek minimalist devices and we can get into a whole conversation around, you know, the value of data captured using a medical grade device versus a commercial device. I don't think it's as, as big as some people make it out to be. But if a patient doesn't want to wear the device in the first place, you know, you're not going to get any data, no matter how good quality that data is. No, of course. Um, and, and that sort of the, the idea of 
extending these technologies to, to broader patient populations um, brings us to how it can affect different therapies, uh, the research into different therapies or different conditions. Are there any particular areas um, where you see an, um, a, a large benefit? I mean, I've, I've spoken to people in the past where it's been, say, rare diseases, which are particularly hard to get a subset of patients into one clinical uh, site, for instance. Um, are there any areas that, that you feel will benefit the most? I'm actually very um, open-minded, maybe not the right term, but you know, I feel hard to pick one therapeutic area where this is going to have an outsized effect because it's it's just going to affect all therapeutic areas. Anything where we might be able to remove activities from the site and allow patients to do them in their own home, that's not exclusive to one particular therapeutic area. And yes, I absolutely agree. Rare diseases, I think, are a particular target because your patients tend to be so geographically dispersed. There's so few of them. So you want to make it as easy as possible for them to engage with the study. But we want to make it as easy as possible for every patient in every therapeutic area to engage with our study. So really, I feel this shift towards virtual trials, decentralized trials, whatever term you want to use, it's going to, it's going to, we're going to see the benefits across all therapeutic areas. Now, I think things like um, oncology studies where you might have very sick patients, you know, I think it's even easier to make the argument there where you might want to minimize how much patients have to travel, for example, allow them to complete their questionnaires in the comfort of their own home. Mm -hmm. But again, those concepts, removing the need to travel, allowing patients to do things in the comfort of their own home, every therapeutic area would benefit from that. And so really, I don't see these technologies, and it's certainly not reflected in, in what we see in, in how metadata technology is being used. It's being used across all therapeutic areas because ultimately we want to be patient-centric for all patients, not just for specific studies. But I think your your point around rare diseases is is spot on. And sometimes it can be easier demonstrating um, kind of proof of concept there because there's this willingness from the sponsor side to go a step further and take what they might perceive as risks as a way of getting access to these rare patients. Um, so definitely as a way of kind of proving that the technology works, I can see maybe rare diseases being a bit of a focus, but ultimately it's going to be a benefit to every patient across every therapeutic area. Yeah, of course. Um, you mentioned earlier just about how the technology, you're starting to see it emerge, but it's not wholly implemented within the industry. This idea of decentralized trials or virtual trials, um, like, you, you know, you, we're seeing sort of trials of it um, or, or, or testing. Um, have you seen any reluctance from, say, the clinical side, with from cl clinici clinicians themselves, or from, um, say, the pharma industry about maybe cost worries uh, about using it, or how it will affect their, their trial outcomes? Yeah, definitely completely understandable as well, but definitely hearing, well, I think there's kind of a pre-pandemic world and then where we find ourselves now. Certainly pre-pandemic, definitely lots of concerns from the sponsor side, to be honest, just in will it work? Mm. Concerns around, you know, is the technology ready? What about missing data, which is always going to be a massive concern for sponsors? Um, what about 
you know, patient reluctance to use the technology? What about elderly patients? What about the acceptability from the regulatory perspective? What, so, yes, always hearing, traditionally hearing some concerns from sponsors just around the feasibility, to be honest, uh, as opposed to anything else. <clears throat> cost, cost perspective, less so. I think it was, in fact, sometimes seen as a way of, of saving cost because if you were you know, removing the need for, for costly site visits, for example, um, and making it easy easier for patients to be able to do this at home, then the perception that maybe, in fact, there, would, there was a cost saving to be made here. But, but really the concerns coming from a, a feasibility point of view. I think the interesting thing about the last year is we were kind of placed in a situation where it was embrace these technologies or just stop your clinical trial. Because suddenly we were we were seeing patients. It, it was becoming a patient safety issue to actually come in for for site visits. Many sites were shutting down, and we had this very abrupt confrontation with that that choice of okay, well, do we try and continue capturing data using these technologies, or do we put the the study on hold? Um, and then that that was really kind of I think supported by some commendably quick guidance from the regulators. The FDA, but regulators globally, who you know, if you kind of read between the lines, there they were saying, do what you need to do to maintain well patient safety number one, obviously, but then do what you need to do to maintain the integrity of your study, and we'll kind of worry about it afterwards around how we we figure out what to do with these data captured in different ways. That's a very blunt paraphrase, but that was kind of my takeaway from from a lot of these guidances, and, and so we suddenly found ourselves in a situation where we were both kind of forced to, but also clearly getting the messages that it was, you know, okay to embrace these technologies. Um, and I think the last year has been a huge uh, lesson learning opportunity um, to really demonstrate that these technologies work. Um, and I think we're now in a situation where those concerns around feasibility have been in a a global real world experiment across all TAs um, has been demonstrated to work. So I think those concerns are are largely addressed now. And I think certainly seeing some of those guidance and recommendations from the regulators as well, while they were for a period in time, and I do anticipate a certain amount of, of stepping back from that flexibility, I can't see a stepping back to where we were beforehand. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful that a lot of those concerns are, a lot of the big concerns have now largely been addressed and we can, we can start kind of getting into the nitty gritty about how to, to actually make this work for specific studies. Brilliant. Well, that uh, answers my next question about if you think uh, these, it, that, that shift will stick following um, COVID. So thank you for that. Um, that's that's all I've got for you, uh, and, and Paul. I just um, I w just want to shout out to our listeners that um, if you are interested in hearing more about how Medidata um, is is operating, Paul's written an article for EPM Magazine um, titled "How Digital Platforms Provide a Bigger Picture for Patients in Clinical Trials." Definitely go check that out on epmmagazine.com. It's a great read. Just discussing all these uh, technologies and some of the points we've covered today as well. The idea of uh, patient dropouts um, through the you know, integration of technology um, not being used uh, correctly and things like that. But Paul, just uh, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Is there anything you want to um, give a shout out to, what Medidata is doing perhaps in the future or what they're doing now? 
Yeah, and, and thank you so much for, for having me on, Reese. This was a really great conversation. I guess just to kind of reiterate where we, we started in regards to the work the patient cloud team is is doing in metadata, um, really focusing on building out these these patient-centric solutions. We're, we're really, you know, we talked earlier about patient centricity arguably becoming a bit of a buzzword, and I think we really are heavily investing in, in trying to create an act a meaningfully patient-centric solution so really shifting the focus from um the the focus from not necessarily just being on on the study itself and then kind of pulling patients into that it's trying to make patients the center of what our technology is doing and then enabling them to to plug into studies um, and use the technologies in ways that make sense for for them and that fits into their lives so i think the next couple of years is, is going to be really exciting in, in this group. So keep an eye on that. Perfect. Thank you. Maybe we can do, do a little bit of a follow-up once uh, once come in. Yeah. That'd be great. Brilliant. Right. Thank you, Paul. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you so much. Take care.